mama, I got bad news, bad news. I've been rolling with some bad dudes, bad dudes. I've been trying to get them back to, back to. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Ashes to Awesome podcast, Rising and Recovery. Our podcast provides light, hope, and understanding about addiction and mental health to those living within that life and the people who love them. This episode is brought to you by Together We Can, where Canada recovers from addiction. That's twcrecoverylife.org. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another edition of the Ashes to Awesome podcast. I am sitting in virtual studio with Mike Lockman from Airdrie, Alberta. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on. Uh, we've, we've had this booked in now for, well, over a month anyway, right? I guess it's happening. Yeah, so, yeah. Anxiously uh, K- waiting. Yeah. KTA, uh, Carl the Atheist, who also lives out in Airdrie, you know, hooked up uh, the two of us. And I'm glad that he did. I'm glad that he did. So, um, hey, listen, Mike, let's just get right into your story. There's a, there's a few things we want to talk about, but, uh, you know, it always starts with, well, where it starts, right? So take us back to the first time you tried a substance. Okay, well... a little bit vague or like blurry but i remember you know being around 15 ish you know like you start sneaking booze right so like definitely booze was my first drug of any kind uh you know like the dad sneaking you sips of beer when you're 12 13 you know what i mean like Yeah, yeah uh but then when when you're 15 and you know i was a skater uh you know, I got picked on and beat up all the time. So I started hanging out with kind of the bad kids, the ones that they, they made me steal and shit for them for me to hang out with them. But they're the ones who got me into, you know, drinking, drinking, or we'd sneak or like get someone to boot for us, get some, you know, 40 and old English, <laughs> yeah. whatever, start yep. pounding those back. So there's those. And then that got me into um, uh, smoking marijuana. Mm-hmm. So started smoking marijuana. And then uh, that was like, I, I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, okay, I don't so know why? I, I'm going to stop you there, Mike. And I, and I always ask this at the beginning of the show: that first time you tried it, or the first time you remember trying it, you know, do you remember yeah. how it made you feel? Whether it was pot or booze or, or whatever, the first time you kind of got that escape, I guess, right? Well, yeah, definitely an escape for sure. Um, it got rid of all my inhibitions. I became uh, my confidence, basically. Uh, I was always afraid of what people thought of me and you know, I was scared to say or do things, but with alcohol, I was like, you know, I could do what I want, say what I want. And I wasn't scared to, to voice my opinion. And I wasn't scared to talk to girls. I wasn't, you know, it was just more like liquid courage to me. And then the marijuana was just funny and chillaxing and, you know, just having fun with the homies. Um, yeah. But then, you know, then the, the addiction kicks in like the alcohol became a huge problem. Uh, but then like, I always say that alcohol is the gateway drug. Um, yeah. I don't think marijuana is a gateway. I mean, it can be, a, anything could be a gateway drug really. Cause mm-hmm. some people mm-hmm. start straight into opioids or whatever, but like, uh, uh, to me, alcohol is the biggest gateway drug there is, uh, which got me the marijuana got me into smoking cigarettes because I was getting high off the weed and I remember someone saying to me, we were at we were at a church parking lot skateboarding. And I must have been around 16, 17 years old. Someone said, Hey, did you know if you smoke a cigarette after you smoke a joint, you get even you get even higher? <laughs> and I was like, Oh fuck. 
all right, let's try that. <laughs> so I started smoking. The first cigarette I ever smoked, I turned green. I was yeah. laying down in my friend's white station wagon in the church parking lot and felt like the world was ending and I was throwing up like crazy and I'm like, I'll never have a smoke again. Like three, four hours later, I was having a smoke. So, <laughs> you know, and then that, so then it became a, a alcohol addiction, a smoking addiction, you know, pot wasn't really an addiction at all. It was just something, whatever, try every, do every once in a while. Um, and then from pot, you know, you try oil, you try hash. Oh, let's try mushrooms. You got into mushrooms. Once you started mushrooms, it was, uh, uh, let's try acid. And I was going to raves. So I was doing mushrooms and acids at, and acid at raves. And then I went on a few bad trips, like some real bad trips. So then I was like, I don't like these drugs anymore. So I got into ecstasy and I loved ecstasy. Ecstasy was my favorite drug. And then, uh, then I started trying GHB and then I got into cocaine. And then once I hit cocaine level, fuck everything else, man, it was cocaine, 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 cocaine. And if I couldn't get cocaine, it was crack. Uh, you know, I, I mean, we could get into all that if I don't know how you want this story to play out, but basically Mm -hmm. that was my progression was, you know, Coke, then crack, then meth, then back to Coke and then all Coke and booze and that was the and then that was my, my yeah, yeah yeah journey pretty pretty familiar journey right um yeah so for timeline purposes i, I mean when does that when, when do you move from say say psychedelics and stuff you know when do you when do you get into coke right let's put it that way coke like, was that's, around, that's kind of the next level shit there right you know so okay yeah. so i moved to ireland i basically ripped off a H.A. son, like the son of a H.A. guy. I ripped him off, and then he threatened to kill me and all this shit. So I ended up moving to Ireland because they were literally hunting me down, these, these guys. So I moved to Ireland, took uh, worked there for a while. After about seven, eight months, I got homesick, came back home. I started bartending for my parents. Uh, they owned okay. a, they, they bought a, they bought a Chinese restaurant, turned it into an Irish pub. So I took a bartending course started bartending for them well then now that i've been back into airdrie things had changed a bit like uh i had gained some more confidence and stuff like that and i i was fighting and so there's this drug dealer in airdrie who the guy who worked for him got arrested or something so i took over i went to him and said hey i'm a tough guy i can stand up for myself like i want to do this um as long as i have your protection you know what i mean like you know certain things so I, I started selling the Coke, but I never did the Coke. Yeah. Uh, and it was about a year of selling Coke. So I'd say around 21, 22 is yeah. when I did my first rail. And I was like, <laughs> so I was with all these people in Calgary, did this, did my first rail. And uh, I guess I was talking nonstop, like nonstop talking. <laughs> I, I even remember it, right? But at the time, I'm like, I'm not even fucking high. I'm not high. Why do you guys? I, I, why do you guys like cocaine, man? Like, this is like, hey, by the way, we should go do that. Blah, blah, blah. Just nonstop. And yeah. so people were like, you don't think you're high, bro? You're high. You won't stop talking. So I was like, oh, okay. Like, so then I kind of liked the social aspect. It made me feel comfortable enough to just talk in front of people. It made me feel normal. It made me feel like this is 
who I'm supposed to be, really. So, cocaine and booze, man. Yep. That's yep. took over. It was cocaine and booze. Ah, there you go. So, okay, okay. So, how old are you when that kind of, well, how do, you, how do you move from that to recovery? What's, uh, do you got a rock bottom? Do okay. Got, what's, uh, what happens there? Right? Well, so what happened was I was doing the Coke, and then, like, one day we couldn't get Coke. And there's this guy I hung out with who I knew sold crack, and he's like, well, I can get you guys some crack. So he got us a, a ball of that. We smoked that. Got, you know, for, it was way weirder high than Coke, but, like, mm-hmm. very, very you know, I want more. Intense. We actually yeah. ended up calling crack more. That was the nickname we called it. Yeah. So we called it more. I want more. Um, so I did that for six months and literally after about six months, any hoot I took, I got violently ill, just immediately rejected from my body, throwing it up like crazy. And wow. then I would do another hoot, throwing it up like crazy, do another hoot. So I, I've like, this doesn't work for me. I can't smoke it anymore. So I just stopped. And then I got into meth because I was selling this guy from Vancouver asked me if I'd sell some meth at some raves for him. So I said, sure. So I sold it here and there, but all the ravers at the time weren't into jib as we called it. So, um, I actually was losing friends because you like, they didn't want me selling that shit at raves. So then I owed all this guy this money for it. And I couldn't find anyone to buy it. So I'm like, well, I'll try it. So I got into jib. I ended up smoking all the jib and I became his best customer. And I was the only one buying jib off of him. Uh, well, exception of a few of my friends, like three or four of us. And then so I literally did that for six months and I ended up staying up for 11 days, no sleep or no food. And I was like sleep deprivation, chemical psychosis. I remember going to my girlfriend's apartment at the time and I ended up passing out on her on the front step of that. And that was around the six month mark. And I when I came to and like I was in the hospital, got my stomach pumped and all this, I just quit. So I was done with that. And then it, I got right back into the cocaine. So I'll just skip ahead for like the age of like, I'd say 20 or sorry, I'd say around 29 to 34 were the last five years of my addiction of cocaine okay. and booze. And for those five years, most of those five years, I would stay up anywhere from four to six days in a row with yeah, no sleep. Scary, eh? Yeah. yeah, no sleep, no no food, just mm-hmm. beer, rye, what what any liquor I can get my hands on really, but mostly beer and rye, and uh, and uh, and cocaine. So yeah. I would do that for four four to six days, and we had like a different bar to go to every night. Me and this other coke dealer, we 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 didn't sell for the same guy. We just kind of decided we'd team up instead of rather war against each other, and we all had our own customers. But if I ran out. He'd help me out. If he ran out, I'd help him out, blah, blah, blah. So we all made money. But, like, um, so we go to this bar on a Wednesday night because drink specials. And we, you know, go back to my house, do coke all night, have half the bar come back with us, then get up. You know, everyone leaves or some people stay. We wait for the liquor store to open. And then, you know, then Thursday night, there's drink specials at this bar. Let's go to this bar. And I worked as a bouncer. So I'd be selling coke out of the bar. And then I'd invite the bar back to my house. I'd even give out free grams of Coke because I knew they'd be coming to my house later and wanting to buy more. So then, so then, you know, this was like five years of this and I was ODing, ending up in the hospital just from, you know, worn out. So I would Mm -hmm. four to six days of that and then I'd be hung over for a day or two and then I'd get up and do it all over again. Right. 
So around when I was 30, I told my sister and some of my friends, I said, when I turn 30, I'm going to quit. I said, that'll be my, my quitting point. Well, <laughs> that, that didn't happen. I, I went uh, four more years, um, four more years of, uh, of staying up four to six days in a row. So I call yeah. it the deepest, darkest days of my addiction were those yeah. five years. And like, oh, uh, suicide attempts, you know, I had several suicide attempts by mostly just taking massive amounts of drugs, um, yeah. which I guess I just have a high tolerance because nothing ever happened to me, you know, okay. thankfully, yeah. like, like truly, truly, thankfully, mm -hmm. you know, I even did some really sketchy stuff where trying to jump, you know, like, I won't get into all that stuff, but it was just suicidal tendencies thoughts you know some yeah, attempts dark times and right? uh yeah. yeah yeah i lost friends to suicides i lost friends to drinking and driving you know i got i drank and drive all the time man uh, high in coke and i'd be like i'm not i'm fine i'm fine i'm on coke i can i'm great but like there was times <laughs> yeah. where i had no coke and i was drinking and i next thing you know i i woke up in a ditch in my in my yeah. car like how did i i get here like i don't even know how i got here you know, and some guy drives by and says, rolls down his window. I'm like, hey, sir, can you help me get my car out? And he's like, you almost fucking killed me, man. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. I got kids in the car and I'm like, holy shit. Like, I, I don't even know. Yeah, so, like, right. you know, all these bad things were happening in my mental health, my my physical health. I was wasting away. Um, so I, uh, I just said I need to quit. And it was September 4th. 2014 uh i called the I, I mean sorry i overdosed i went to the hospital and then uh i was there for a few hours they said you're fine they gave me a handful of ativan to take home and said these will take the edge off and i was like sweet popped all those went to the liquor store grabbed some booze and beer went back to my house had a big bag of coke started doing all that like trying to overdose like just by consuming it all at once and then it was about 7 7 30 in the morning i was supposed to go to work there's an overpass across my street. I was like, I'm going to go fucking jump, man. I can't, I can't go to work like this. And I was a mechanic. So I felt like I had to test drive vehicles and shit. I'm like, I'm going to kill somebody. I'm like, I'm going to go kill myself. So I went to walk out the door. And as I did, I had this like thought, you don't want to die, man. Call the cops. So I called the cops on myself, talked to the operator and was like, hey, you know, I was breaking down crying. I'm going to kill myself. I need help. I'm a drug dealer. My name is Mike Locke. And told her all about me and said, I, I need help right now. I just want out of the game. I want, I'm done, you know, cause I've been selling drugs now for about 14, 15 years. And so, uh, uh, so boom, she, about within half an hour, cops came. There was a big blizzard outside. I opened up the door crying. The one cop stayed back by the car. The other older cop walked up and he said, what the fuck do you want? Loman? That's, that's what, so some people call me Loman just because of yeah. Canadian pronouncing. So he says, what the fuck do you want, Loman? He's like, walk your ass to the, the hospital yourself. He's like, we're dealing with accidents out here, and you're calling us because blah, 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 blah. Well, the ambulance driver, an indigenous woman, she, like, said, how dare you talk to him like that? He wants help. <laughs> Fucking leave him alone. Come here, honey. And, like, puts her arm around me and walks me to the ambulance. She's like... You're doing a big step right now. I want you to be proud of yourself. Let's get so. Hey guys, well, I got my dentrin from dentkits.com. And I gotta tell you, for the first time in three years, I'm looking in the mirror and I'm not reliving the trauma. I'm not feeling terrible about myself. I like my smile. It's so awesome. 
Anyway, they, they are way less expensive than traditional gadgets. No matter what your situation is, whether you're missing one tooth or a whole mouthful, DentKits.com has an affordable solution for you. Check them out, guys. I am so proud to be an ambassador for this product. Now that I have my smile fixed, we can look forward to some video episodes of Ashes Toss. Thanks for listening. Now, back to the show. She says to me, can I pray for you? So I said, I'm not religious, but go ahead. So she prayed for me while we were in the ambulance, and then she told me a story about how her family lived on a reserve and how they're all addicts or have addictions. Um, and she says she's the only one who doesn't. So she's like, if I can do it, you can do it. Cause she's like, I came from this place where it was just drugs and poverty and you know, all this. So, uh, she's like, I believe in you because you made this, this re- you reach out for help. So then when I got to triage, uh, Peter Lougheed, there is a nurse there that immediately kind of took her role. She's like, Oh, sweetie. She was an elderly lady. I don't know. Yeah. She was definitely a senior and she was like super nice. And then she asked if she could pray for me. And I said, sure. She left the room and I could hear her praying. And I was just like, this is weird. This is weird. I (laughs) like, it's nice, but it's just weird. Uh, And I, I just couldn't understand how these people were caring about me so much. Cause I was like, I'm a drug addict. I'm a drug dealer. I'm not a good person. You know, like I do, you know, so I didn't think I deserved this help, but they gave it to me. And so then that nurse, after being there for a few hours, they put me up into the uh, short term mental health unit, got up in there. Um, It was kind of a scary place, but I was eager and I was excited. And the psychiatrist there, you know, I had to go talk to him and I was telling him what was going on. And I told him I really wanted help. So he says, as long as you're here and you're willing to do the work we give you and like, you know, you, you obey the rules and stuff, he's like, we'll help you. So mm-hmm. I, I did whatever they asked. I did whatever paperwork they gave me. And then I heard this guy talking about a recovery center called Action North Recovery Center up in high level. And he was talking about how it's an indigenous re- recovery center. They do like a sweat lodge. They do medicine wheel and smudging and all that kind of stuff. And I just like piqued my interest real quick. Uh, for a few reasons. Number one, it was so far away. It was up high level, 10 hours away. So I'm like, yep. if I go there, I can't go out in the middle of the night and find drugs because I don't know anybody and I can't <laughs> run home. So yep. that was appealed to me. Also, the indigenous aspect of it, um, for, once again, for a few reasons, I've always respected the indigenous lifestyle. Um, and when I say that, I mean their history, their traditions, and you know how they lived off the land like all that kind of stuff um and then plus the indigenous emt who just i just met and so i just kind of felt like it it was meant to be so i'm like i want to go there so i told them and they said okay we'll get you in there they they worked and worked they helped me do all the paperwork so i ended up staying seven days in the short-term mental health unit which they always release you after five days or they transfer you to somewhere else but they kept me there for seven days because they said I was showing so much initiative and motivation to get sober. So they wanted to help me. So then they got Alberta Works involved. It took two weeks, though. There was a two-week waiting period yeah. for me to get into their treatment center, which is where I fucked up again. So uh, they said, okay, we'll get you in. They had everything set up. Alberta Works started giving me money. It was like $741 a month just to help me with bills or whatever. 
Uh, and then they also paid for me to get the transportation up to high level and also pay for the recovery center itself. Now, to those two weeks, this is, this is a crazy story. So after I lasted like two, three days on my own yeah, uh, yeah. of trying to stay sober. So I'd been sober, I think, 10 days at that point. And then um, I had... I told my friends, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to a treatment center. I'm, I, uh, so I kind of skipped over some stuff, but we can maybe jump back to that. It was kind of how I ended up. I'll, I'll just jump back. So I was working at a, a, a car dealership and they knew about my drug problem. And I told them I was going to quit drug dealing if they hired me and in, in my interview, like this is how wow. I, I got my job. I told them I was a drug dealer. I needed a job. I wanted to quit. I did have an alcohol and drug problem, but I was getting help for it. I told him I had it under control, though, which I didn't. Uh, and the guy that did the interview and one of the other women, the woman, I, I knew her husband. Like, mm-hmm. me and him did drugs together and, like, you know, got escorts together and all this kind of stuff. So, like, you know, she knew me. And the yeah. guy who interviewed me said, you know, I like you. I like your charisma. He's like, I had a drug problem and I got a job here and it changed my life. I want to support you. So, boom, they gave me the job. Yeah. So then I told all my friends I was going to quit drug dealing. So I still was drug dealing a little bit, but not not as much as I was. But then I ended up getting $40,000 in the hole because I wasn't selling drugs. I was doing most of what yeah. I was picking yeah, up. Right. So... Plus, a lot of my friends didn't want to hang out with me if I wasn't selling drugs. So then after this whole like incident of me going to the hospital and stuff, that's when I was working at the deal, the dealership. So then I got into the hospital and all this. So in the in that two week period I was telling you about, I called some of my friends who I really wasn't talking to anymore. And I called a few that I still was. And I said, hey, I just got out of the hospital. I'm going to rehab. But here's the thing. I really want to get high with you guys one last time um, for a few <laughs> days anyways. And, yeah. and so my one friend said, no, I don't want to get you drugs because I, I, want, I want you to get help. And then I told him that the psychiatrist told me to do drugs one more time. And he was like, what? And I said, yeah, he says I made up the story, dude. I was like, uh, my psychiatrist said that they were all going to college and stuff and they were all doing cocaine and then they got their jobs. So they said, let's do cocaine one last time before we like go off into the <laughs> real world. So he suggested I try and do the same thing with my friends to say goodbye to the drugs before I go to treatment. <laughs> so my friend's like, well, if that's what he told you, let's do it. So he ended up getting me some drugs. And so we all got together and I got high for like five or six days. And yep. in those five or six days, I, I pretty much, yeah, not like a full blown overdose, but like I ended up in the hospital again, and uh, and then so th- with three days before I had to go to treatment, they told me I had to be seven days sober. So yeah. three days before I went to treatment, I sobered up mm-hmm. and got on the bus. I got up there, went to treatment, and experienced the best twenty eight days of my of my life. There were some bad ups and downs there, but that treatment center was friggin amazing they stayed open about four years after i left but they've gone out of business since which is really unfortunate um but so then yeah i 28 days there uh, i begged to stay but alberta works wouldn't pay for me to stay any longer so i had to come out um 
And uh, I told them, you know, like, uh, you know, I said, I, I really want to stay. I really want to stay. They're like, Mike, you can do it. You can do it. You've worked on so much while you're here. You've, you've, you've worked through some things that, you know, you never talked about before. We have faith in you. So I got out. I've been sober ever since. Oh, good for you. Good for you. So um, you're not a 12-stepper? Do I get that part right? Uh, well, I did 90 meetings in 90 days when I got out of treatment because okay. we had to okay. do AA yeah. in treatment. We had to do AA and NA in treatment. And then when I yeah. got out, it was suggested I do 90 meetings in 90 days, which I did. And I really liked a lot of the parts of AA, but um, where I come from, there was so much friggin' politics, man. Like one time, you know, I had a woman accuse me of 13 stepping because this one woman called me. She's like, I have, I've tried all my female sponsors. You're the only male that I know in AA. Would you meet with me to talk? I really need someone to talk to you right now. And she's like, there's an AA meeting in a couple hours. We can meet at uh, Paul's. We can have a piece of pizza and some water or pop and then go to the meeting. And I said, sure. So we met up. Mm -hmm. We had sat there. I talked to her for like an hour, hour and a half. And then I said, okay, we got to go to the meeting. So she said, thank you for talking. I feel so comfortable with you. She's like, I, I, it's on, like, she said she was pretty pissed off at her feet because she got a hold of a couple of her sponsors, but they said they were too busy or told her to figure it out herself. Yep. So we walk in together and the whole room, eyes were on us. Like oh, yeah. glare, giving us this fucking evil glare. I'm like what, what the hell? I, I didn't know, like, I didn't know with this whole 13 stepping thing. I didn't even know what oh, that was yeah. yet. Yeah. So I sit down and then this guy comes up to me. We need to talk outside now. And then a woman went up to the girl and said, we need to talk outside now. So they both kind of took us aside. And then I was getting poked in the chest. You shouldn't be out with no woman in AA and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, dude, she called me for help. I, <laughs> I'm not going to turn someone away just because they're a female. I, well, I sat course, down and right. talked yeah. with her, you know, and we came here. Oh, well, what's your intentions? And I said, I have no fucking intentions, man. And then he goes, this is what you have to do. This is what AA is all about. He goes, first, you pray to your higher power and ask your higher power, is this the right choice? Am I making the right choice? And if your higher power uh, doesn't answer or your higher power tells you the wrong thing, then you call your sponsor. <laughs> then you call your sponsor and, if and your sponsor will tell you that you shouldn't go out with that woman. And I'm like, dude, man, you're some guy I don't know. I don't know you. I don't know what kind of person you are outside of here. Why should I take fucking advice from you? I said, yeah. I listened to my inner being that said, help this woman. So I went with this woman. I have no intentions of sleeping with her. I don't find her attractive. I think she's a nice person. I wanted to help. That's it. So then it became like this whole thing that anytime I went in there, there was half the people were like, whatever, and whatever, and the other half were cool. Then another time, this one guy said to me, um, you don't come to enough meetings, find a different home group. And this wow. woman stood up and yeah, this woman stood up and said, how dare you? She he can come to as many meetings as he wants. He doesn't have to come to a meeting. He doesn't want to. He's like, well, when you don't need a meeting, that's when you need a meeting the most. And I'm like, fuck, dude, I can't make every meeting. I, I can't, yeah. you know, like, I'm getting sick of the politics and the cliques in this group. And yeah. so then then the, I, the thing that topped it off was I was six months sober at this time. Mm 
Mm-hmm. I went into the radio station. I always wanted a job as a as on, on the radio or or a, a news anchor or something like that, or like an interviewer. So yeah. I went into this radio station, Air 1061 in Airdrie, walked up to the desk and I said, Hey, my name's Mike. I got a face for radio. Can I get a job? And I was <laughs> just kind my, of it's one of my standby <laughs> jokes. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. Mom always so told I, me I had a face for radio, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got that my sister's boyfriend at the time was in a band called face for radio so i i got it from that and i i just was joking and then i hear this guy laughing from an office he goes who is that send him in here so i went in we talked (laughs) (coughs) told him i wanted a job um and he goes well do you have any training or uh, schooling or anything i said no and he's like well unfortunately i can't you know give you a job you need schooling but he's like um he so I kind of told him a bit about me, like uh, with the addictions and how I'm sober and newly sober. And he's like, can I, can I do an interview with you? Like on the air, would that be something you're in for? And I said, sure. So we did like uh, three. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we did a huge interview. Like it was like two or three one hour long interviews, which he broke up into segments and did over a few days or something like that. And so, but before I did that interview, when I got out of recovery, I went back to that job I was telling you about at the car dealership that said mm-hmm. I could go to recovery. Or when I got out, the people that supported me were not, not there anymore. It was different people. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they the whole attitude towards me shifted and I was a druggie, a troublemaker. Uh, you know, I just screwed them over because I went off to recovery and they had to fill my shift and now I get my job back and it's unfair and blah 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 blah. Yeah. So like uh, they treated me like shit. They didn't give me the same job that I had. They basically um, had me doing hardcore physical work, which I couldn't do because of my knees. Um, so uh, I was getting called all the names and stuff. So I went up to HR and I complained. And she said, there's nothing I can do. And I'm like, people are calling me addict and druggy and junkie and everything. And there's nothing you can do. Like, this is, this is like against got to be against some sort of company policy for people right. to be calling me these names and i'm like yeah. and how did they even find out like how did these mm-hmm. people know you know so then i went to my boss and i said you know i'm having issues blah 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 and i said if they don't change i'm gonna sue because i'm like i think like you're either trying to constructively get me to quit or you're gonna do something like make me do something so i get fired and then, but I said, I don't want to do that. And I said, here's the thing. I was asked to go on the air and do an interview about my life. And I want to do that. And I was going to thank you guys for supporting me to go to recovery and, yeah. you know, saving me a job for when I got out. But now you're treating me like this. And he's like, you're going to go on the air and talk about your drug problems. And I said, I don't have drug problems anymore. I said, I did. I'm six months sober. I said, yeah. I, I want to go on and talk about my life to try and help other people and then he said uh, that can only bring bra- that can only bring bad stuff and i said what do you mean he goes people will judge you people will hate you it'll ruin your career it'll ruin your reputation and i said no 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 you're not the kind of people i want to work for i yeah. uh, i uh quit and i'll see you in court fuck off see you later walked out and uh i sued them um, I'm not allowed to talk about what happened, but um, I stood up for myself, uh, for other re- people in recovery, um, mm-hmm. to set an example, and it worked out for the best. And I went on air, I did the interview, 
and boom, man, doors opened up all over the place. It was nothing but positivity. I started no doing kidding. fundraising. Yeah. I started getting into doing talks in schools to kids about drugs and alcohol and bullying and suicide and mental health. So like that interview that my boss, who's like a friggin' millionaire, billionaire, I think, like who yeah. thinks he knows the best and he's super smart, said yeah. only bad things can happen. And I knew he was wrong and I did what I did. And uh, only good things have happened ever since. Well, that's, that's I mean, it's not surprising, I guess, to, to somebody that that's that knows better, I suppose. Right. And, and, and that's just the stigma, Mike. That's what that is. And, and it's uh, unfortunately right. It's, it's still a thing. I, I mean, it's not as bad as it used to be. And, and, you know, stopping that stigma is, you know, a big part of what we're trying to do here on the show anyway. Right. And, and it sounds. Yeah, like that's one of the things. Yeah. Yeah. It's right. One of the things so, I'm, I'm really uh, big about is changing the stigmas associated with alcohol and drugs and mental health and stuff because right right yeah, you know yeah. uh one of the biggest things oh they'll ne- a junkie will never change and uh, they'll never change they'll always yeah. once a drug yeah. dealer always a drug dealer once a mm-hmm. whatever you know what i mean like i am living proof that people can turn around and there's many many more people like me that are living examples that have gone Absolutely. from doing yeah. some of the worst possible things mm-hmm. a human can do to yeah. you know opening their eyes and getting sober and then becoming some of the best people on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It wasn't that long ago that I was doing a lot of the worst things a human can do. Right. So I, yeah. I can totally appreciate what you're saying there. So let's talk more about this fundraising um, and, 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 and the group that I kind of came into contact you with and what's going on with all that now, Mike. Um, uh, the group is uh, friends, the, sober friends. Yeah. The sober friends society. The Sober Friends so, Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When I was in the treatment center, uh, I liked it so much. We did sweat lodging. We did craft night on Wednesday nights. We did karaoke on Thursday nights. We did movies on Friday nights. We went for walks every morning. You know, it, I loved it. I loved it so much. So I said to myself when I was in there, I said, I'm going to get sober. I'm going to be one of those people I've seen on TV that talks in schools. I mean, if you're one of those people that helps other people get sober, I'm going to do great things. And then I had this um, dream that I opened up, not a recovery center, but a retreat. It was like a retreat for people to go to that had addictions and were doing good in life. But every once in a while, they needed to get away and escape to like a safe, sober space with like-minded people with a structured system of crafts and board games and movies and things like that kind of like how i got this recovery center but i wasn't going to have it like it was just going to kind of be me at a building with all this fun stuff and this is where people could come so that's that was my dream so when i got out i actually sold my house that i sold drugs out of i had fifty thousand dollars set aside and i was actually traveling all over alberta looking for land i could buy like put a fifty thousand dollar down payment on and, you know, I just could not find anything that was the right fit or close enough to Airdrie or had wells or power poles or anything. So it would have taken hundreds of thousands of dollars of, you know, money. So I, I just yeah, yeah. decided to invest my money in me. And I started a business called Surrender to Sobriety. Um, okay. And that was basically I made T-shirts and hats and stick, stickers and dog tags, Got designed a whole bunch of those. And then my goal was to help people get sober. So I got a website made up, you know, I did all this stuff, but I guess I didn't put a lot of thought into it. And I guess I'm just not that good of a businessman because Mm -hmm. 
even though people wanted to pay me for my services, I didn't have the heart to take their money because someone would call me at three in the morning. I'm going to kill myself. I need help. I would drop, you know, get out of bed, go to where they're at, uh, and talk with them, make sure they were safe, make sure they weren't going to kill themselves. And then I would like, if they were in danger, I would call the ambulance and I would have them come. If they, if I felt they were fine, I, I left it alone. Um, I'd show up at people's houses that were doing drugs that asked me, you know, come take their drugs away. And then they'd offer me drugs while I'm there. I'm like, are you kidding me? You called me to get, so no, so I take their drugs away, flush them down the toilet. So I was doing that. And like, people would call me, say, you know, I go meet with them for coffee. I'd spend hours with people and people would be like, here's a hundred dollars. I'm like, no, I don't want to take your money right now. Just, just pay me later. I just wanted to get you help. So I ended up going like in the, you know, I went in the hole several thousand, tens of thousands of dollars actually over a few years because I wasn't taking money from anyone and I was still, <laughs> you know, paying rent and bills and yeah, gas yeah. and everything. So once I realized I was in the hole and my, you know, I was doing my accounting and I went to the city of Airdrie to ask them for support. And the guy that was in charge of business, business or whatever in Airdrie said, you know what, Mike, I don't think you have the heart for being a cutthroat businessman. Uh, I think you should start a not-for-profit. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and I'm like, that's kind of a good idea. So I went with that. And then I turned the, the surrender to sobriety business into the Sober Friends Society. And uh, I just started helping people for free. Like, I still don't get any money out of doing this. Um, I don't yeah. even get, like, money for gas or anything. Um, mm-hmm. But at least I'm not going in the hole because – a lot of the money, like the sober events we do, that gets paid for out of like the money we raise. So yeah, paint yeah. night, for example. So we do sober activities. Once a month, we'll do a paint night. So I'll have an artist come in and usually someone in recovery, mostly someone in recovery, and they'll guide us through a painting for three or four hours. Uh, so we'll order pizza and pop because I want to make sure if people aren't eating at home, at least they have some pizza and something to drink. I mean, it's not the best food, but it's still, you're getting something in them. So we get pizza pop. We sit around, we talk about whatever pops up, you know, sometimes stuff about addiction does pop up. Sometimes we tell kind of old funny stories about, you know, dumb shit that we did or whatever happened or uh, like stuff, why you shouldn't do this. Or we recommend stuff to other people or, or whatever. So the sober groups are awesome. I give people a safe sober space, which is what I've always wanted to do with the, like the retreat I was talking about. Yeah. Um, so on a Saturday night, you know, you can come down and paint, be creative, learn to go with the flow. Not everything has to be perfect because that was a big part of the art part of it. it for me, when I first started doing the paint nights, I was always getting frustrated, mad. Oh, this is an ugly painting, blah, 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 blah. And the artist has just kept telling me, Mike, you know, like, just it, it art is different to everybody. It's not going to be perfect, you know, this and that. And this. So now mm-hmm. I just paint and I have fun and I don't even think about it. And I've seen other people progress the same way as I have. And I also know people that come to our groups because they isolate. I'm one of those people, but I have other people in the group that um, the only times they usually come out are to come to our group. And it's because they feel safe and mm-hmm. they know that, you know, there's no judgment. Um and that they need to get out of the house. So I've seen people grow in that aspect as well. The other thing we do is, um, like like I said, I'll sober coach people. Uh, our long-term goal mm-hmm. is to build a clubhouse. So that's where the t- retreat idea I have come in, except it would be kind of more 
like uh, there'd be couches and TVs and a pool table and we would do like big board games. So kind of like my retreat. However, I want it to be localized in, in Airdrie or around it. Yeah. And I want it to become the central hub of sobriety for Airdrie where we have a room that we would not rent out. Because, you know, like AA and NA and CA, they have to pay for places or get them donated by churches or whatever. I want to have one or two rooms that any group can use for free. And I know that that goes against the AA and NA traditions. But the way around that is, okay, give us five bucks a week. You can have the yeah. room. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, they're still stuff. paying something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then there would be AA, NA, Smart Recovery, and then there could be so many meetings in a day for these rooms every day of the week at no charge. And then we would have um, addiction counselors on site. Uh, and I'd, I'd like it to be a 24-7 kind of facility down the road. Um, but, you know, start small, see what we can do. Uh, we don't have a building or anything just yet. We have to raise tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars to do those kinds of things or get land donated. And so far, no luck in that aspect. Um, but one day, uh, so that's the sober friends society. Uh, like I do talks in schools and stuff uh, about addictions, mental health. We do, uh, I also do stand up comedy, um, about addictions, mental health, um, yep. <laughs> eating healthy, online dating, you know, <laughs> some of the, whatever. This is, uh, you know what? Not, I, I, I got to interrupt you there. So, um, yeah. a, a segment that we were doing, and, and and maybe there's an opportunity. I, I probably shouldn't even be talking about this on air, but why not? Right? Whatever. It's a, it's a frank kind of podcast here, right? So- and now for a quick PSA brought to you by Revolution Recovery, helping men recover and become their best selves through support and treatment. They've been there, and they understand. Hi, listeners. This is Lena. I'm part of the Ashes to Awesome team and co-hosted on episodes 76 and 67. Do you carry Narcan, also known as Naloxone? If not, perhaps you should. The kits are not only compact and easy to use, they are free at all harm reduction centers and a lot of pharmacies. By carrying one of these kits, you could save the life of somebody who loves and that is loved. I get that most of you never plan on being around opioid use, but there's no telling when it could be around you. I can't think of a good reason not to have it, and if you're not sure where to find it for free, Send us an email at ashes to awesome podcast at gmail.com. Legwork for you and find it for free in your area. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. So, we used to have uh, just the tips Thursday, which has just stopped. Uh, just the tips Thursday. Tips is plural. But, um, and what we were doing, and you're going to love this, we would take tips generated by ChatGPT on living in sobriety. Yeah. And, and, kind of read those you know my, my buddy scott from uh, from the no new friends podcast who since you know he doesn't have time now um but he, he was coming on he'd read them to me and we'd have some fun with them and oh man we were having a lot of fun with those like it's it, some of our just the most hilarious content came out of that so uh, right. I, I think there's maybe an opportunity for you and i to to, to jam some more here and you know kind of relook sure. at, at at those episodes again I, like i told you at the beginning of the show or before we started recording the format's changing so we're not going to do Thursdays on Thursday anymore, Mondays on Monday, but um, certainly that's something we can we can talk about because yeah, yeah, uh, I'm down it, for that. It's funny the humor thing, right? Um, it's Scott, who is uh, I call him a muggle, right? So all the people that you know 
aren't a part of the uh, the drug world or have never been around it or whatever. And I call them all right. muggles, you know, from the Harry Potter reference. Right? Yeah, yeah. And he's the mugglest of the muggle, right? The guy has ice cream socials and, you know, golf cart parades in his neighborhood down in Florida there. So um, he's always concerned about offending people, right? That, you know, you know, whether they're people that have suffered an addiction or their family members or whatever. And I'm constantly saying to him, you don't get it, man. Our baseline has moved. When you've dealt with some of the shit that we have dealt with, you know, after in a, you know, some, this extended period of time in active addiction, some of the things that happen, some of the, you know, some of the things we do, some of the things that happen to us, it, it, you can't really offend anymore, right? So it's like that, yeah. that baseline is different than normal people, than muggles, if you will, right? Right. <laughs> you know, right? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love the humor that, uh, you know, that we can find in, in, I, in some things now, right? So, yeah. Yeah, humor heals, man. Humor heals. Yeah, and uh, as long as you know you're smart about it and you're not – you know, you gotta be. Uh, you can be. You can swear. You can say some things uh, across the line. You gotta just know where that line is, which is yeah, kind of well, tricky. Sometimes it I can be push tricky. it, right? <laughs> know your audience. That's what you I can say, push right? it. Yeah, yeah. Know your audience. Know your yeah, audience. Right? Yeah. So yeah, I got in. I got into doing the stand-up comedy <laughs> through PMAS and Aero Comedy Training because mm-hmm. they knew about my public speaking. They were actually PMAS was the one who helped me get into schools to to do public speaking. So they said, hey. We're going to do a fundraiser where we take a comedian, Derek Wilkins, his name, and we do a workshop with you and he helps you, you, you like guides you through creating your own jokes. So then you do this three day workshop and then you go up on stage, you sell tickets and you get up on stage and you do your, your routine. So they get about 10, 20 people together and we do that. So I've done that four times now and I absolutely loved it. So okay. we're going to actually do one for the Sober Friends Society. I do open mic and spoken word and rap about addictions and mental health. I got a few okay. really great pieces that I'm very, very proud of. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Did did you want to hear, like, some of the reasons why I did get into drugs and alcohol? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, most certainly, right? That's, that's all part of the story. I usually would cover that earlier, right? But Oh, yeah. Um, I kind of um, jumped over parts of that. <laughs> well, and I thought there, there's so much to carry. There's so much to talk about with your work right so i didn't want to take the whole episode talking about some of that yeah yeah when when we really wanted to cover certain work so you know what why don't we put that on pause for now because i we're not done with each other mike (laughs) we're certainly not done i I can tell you right now um you know what you're in the same community as me essentially right i mean i'm in south calgary so i might as well be in yeah you know we're close enough vegas or something you know i'm so far (laughs) (laughs) i was gone for 15 years in saskatchewan i came back and it was like holy shit what happened in calgary it's gotten it's gotten huge right um but anyway, what I do want to talk about in, in, in this particular interview is, of course, your upcoming fundraisers. But I also want to talk about smart recovery. If we could talk about that for a little bit. Sure. Uh, I'll be yeah. honest with you. Um, I've heard the term a lot, a lot lately. I'm not even really sure what it is. So if you kind of okay. break that down for us and give us a, you know, an idea of what's going on there. Sure. Well, remember how I was saying I did 90 meetings in 90 days of AA, and then I had some negative yeah. things happen to me there. While mm-hmm. I was going there, I met a guy that was going to smart recovery. And he said, Hey, why don't you come to smart recovery and give you that a try? And I said, Hey, what's that? He's like, it stands for self management and recovery training. No higher power. He says, it's only science based. And I said, that appeals to me because even though I was going to EA, still didn't believe in the, like the how higher power I was spiritual, but like the whole having to say God or higher power things, I, what didn't appeal to me, I felt like I can do this on my own. I don't need, I don't need that to help me. I'm, I'm here on planet earth. It's me and me alone. I have to do it the pa- it's in, within my power to do so. And that's actually mm-hmm. one of the 
things of uh, smart recovery is the responsibility and power is in you to do so. So we believe that, that it's within your control to, to do these things. So uh, it's cognitive behavioral therapy techniques. Okay. So yep. things yep. like cost benefit analysis, uh, playing the tape forward, which is my favorite tool ever. So uh, it used to take me a while to do it, but now it just goes by fast. So like if you're sitting there and I ran into a buddy, hadn't seen him in two years, doesn't know I'm sober. Hey, man, fuck, I haven't seen you in three, four years. Let's go for a beer. Actually, I can't. I am sober now. Oh, what's one one drink, man? Like, we haven't seen each other in three years. Just one drink for old time's sake. And then, you know, you sit there and you go, maybe I can just have one. You know, wait, wait a minute. If I have one, I'm going to want six. If I have six, I'm going to want a gram of Coke. If I have a gram of Coke, I'm going to want a two for a beer. Then we're going to yep. get an eight ball of Coke. We're going to go back yep. to my house. We're going to have more Coke and booze delivered. We're going to end up having people come over. I'm going to get into a fist fight. Cops are going to come. I'm going to take a swing at a cop. I'm going to end up in a cop car. I'm going to lose my job, and I'm going to go to jail. So yeah. that's 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 what stops me every time from picking up. Um, but there's other tools like hierarchy of values. Um, uh, there's paw. There's a, there's a bunch uh, of – you can, like, Google them – and yeah, there's a yeah. smart recovery handbook and stuff. You can come to a smart recovery meeting, but I just love smart recovery mostly for the, uh, <clears throat> when I went to AA, mm -hmm. I liked the being around the people. I, I, you know what I mean? So that's where smart recovery comes in. And I like being able to get stuff off my chest. So when I went to AA, sometimes you couldn't talk. They wouldn't let you talk. Like they would skip over you or like they would only want you to talk about a specific thing when you wanted to really talk about what just happened to you. Like, Oh my God. Oh, rah, rah, and just get yeah, that out. Right. And yeah. they wouldn't let you do that. At least our group wouldn't let you do that. So I, at smart recovery, they, they, they do a check-in where at the beginning they say a few things and then they say, so well, now we'll start with the check-in. We'll finish off with a tool. So check-in is we just go around the room and you mm -hmm. talk about your successes or troubles over the, like the last week, what went wrong, any advice, you know, like, um, you, you know, we offer each other tidbits here and there. Like w there is some crosstalk, whereas in yeah. AA, there is absolutely no crosstalk. But yeah, as we're talking, yeah. if someone says something, oh, hey, you know, that you speaking about that reminds me of something. Here's what I did in your situation. Maybe you could give that a try. And then people will kind of spitball some ideas and say, oh, I tried that too. And then the person's like, oh, thank you for telling me that. And then they'll go on and talk and finish. And then once everyone talks, if anyone still needs to speak, we'll let them speak. And then we do a tool. <clears throat> so then I did smart recovery for a couple of years. And then I decided to become a facilitator. So I took the facilitator course. And okay. now I, I actually just as a few days ago decided to take a two, three month break from smart recovery facilitating while I focus on my vacation and my upcoming fundraiser. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, that's what smart recovery is all about. OK, OK. Now, I do not want a 12 step bash. It's not something we do here in, on the show. Any and all methods of recovery are absolutely now, are, welcome. Whatever works yep. for you is the exact right way in, in my mind. Right? Yeah, that's so, that's uh, yeah, yeah. That's another that's, part of smart recovery. We believe that you work your own program, which is like another thing that they say in AA. And we believe yep. that whatever works for you works for you. So if you're someone who needs to take Suboxone or um, 
methadone or whatever. I don't, I'm not too experienced yeah. with that stuff. But, yeah. you know, some people would say, well, you're not sober if you're on that. We're like, you know what? It's harm reduction. As long as you're not yeah. doing your drugs and choices, you're not, and your life is manageable. Yeah, so like, right? you're paying your bills, <laughs> you're paying your bills, you're going to work, yeah. you're not a shitty person, you're not abusing people, you're not stealing. Yeah. As long as you're doing yeah. that, then fine. If that's what's working for you, works for you. If you want to do A-A-N-A-C-A every day, do it. If you're yeah. sober, do it. If you want to do <laughs> both of them, Smart Recovery A, do it. Like, if you're nice. someone who needs to use medicinal marijuana and, you know, as long as you're, like I said, your life is manageable. And, you know, uh, if you're someone, though, I would have no respect for this. If you use medicinal marijuana and you come into one of our smart groups smelling like marijuana, I'm not cool with that at all. Uh, just because you could trigger other people. Um, yeah, I mean, you have a right to do other people's experience yeah, as well. Yeah. You have a right to do what you have to do your own program. But when you come to a meeting like this, you have to be aware that there are people there that do have marijuana addictions. Like smart recovery isn't just for booze and drugs. It's for, uh, gamblers. It's for overeaters. It's yep. for, uh, any addiction because we believe all the, all addictions are very similar and using certain techniques can overcome it um, yeah, or help yeah. you overcome them. So, yeah. Yeah. Coping mechanism is a coping mechanism, right? Whether, whether it's, you know, gambling or, or, or weed or fentanyl or booze, right? Who really cares? Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. So uh, I'm definitely going to look more into it. I can't believe you're the first person I've had to talk about smart recovery. So oh, um, well, I've got the shirt on smart recovery, <laughs> Airdrie. Love it. Love it. Love it. <laughs> Uh, now, let's talk about this upcoming fundraiser. It sounds like you've got a few things, you know, as, as, so let's just talk about the, the one that's closest to us now and, and, and how maybe people can help and, and go from there. Okay, cool. The fundraiser that's coming up is called Mike Marches Again for Mental Health. Okay. <clears throat> and the reason why it's called that is because I've done this walk before. And I said I would never do it again, but here I am doing it again. <laughs> However, when I did it the first time, I walked from high level to Airdrie. And the reason why I walked from high level is, you might remember, that's where I went to recovery. Yeah, of course, of course. So yeah. it was represented my you? 41 days, 36 wow. days of walking, but 41 days total. because So like, um, I chose high level because that's where I went to recovery. It, it represented my journey of sobriety where it started and where I am now, which is Airdrie. So yeah. Uh, you know, we went up there, I spent a few days at the recovery center talking to the, some of the people there. Um, and I did a presentation at Alberta works and then we did the walk. And so on the first three days, it was pouring rain, pouring rain. And so on the first day when it was pouring rain, my shoes and socks were getting soaked. So I decided mm -hmm. I had a pair of rubber boots. So I, yeah. I just didn't want to get my socks wet. So my idea was I'll wear rubber boots and that's it. <laughs> Bad fucking idea. I had, I had blisters over, over, like over a dozen blisters on each foot. Oh, I bet. And I bet. both my big toenails fell off. So I had no big toenails. Um, my feet were swollen and just like wrinkled and everything. So that was after three days of walking like that. I just couldn't walk anymore. And I was in between high level and Manning was like one of the longest walks because it's about an hour and a half drive of nothing like yeah. no nothing so this walk seemed like forever number one but there was mm -hmm. so about halfway there's this woman's house and she knew one of the counselors of the recovery center 
So she heard about our story and then she offered us to stay at her house for three, for a few days. So we stayed at her house. We actually saw a bear. A bear came right up on her yard. When, oh, thankfully wow. we had, we, we, we were walking with bear spray cause we knew we were in bear country. But anyways, she fed us. I got a shower there, watched TV. We stayed there for a few days. And then after, I think it was three days. So three days of walking and then a three day rest, which, you know, wasn't the best progress to start my walk. But uh, after three days, I started walking again. I think I walked for something like 12, 13, 14 days, took one more day of rest, walked mm -hmm. another little while, took another day of rest, and then walked the rest of the way. So 36 days of total walking, 41 days of being away from my house. Okay. And yep. uh, we walked, I walked 30 to 40 kilometers a day. My record was 43.4 kilometers in one day. I've like seen other people do walks and stuff and they walk like 70, 80 kilometers a day because they walk from morning till like night. I can't yeah. do that. I've got um, really, I've got early degenerative arthritis in all of my joints, but my knees are really bad. I've had three knee surgeries. And okay. as of like, when I was like 28, 20, 28, 29, somewhere around 30, we'll just say, um, I was told I needed new knees. Okay. So, uh, I'm too young to get new knees. So I decided to walk for a total of eight hours. And whatever I could walk in those eight hours, I would mm -hmm. stop. Plus, I didn't want to walk at nighttime because I was walking alone on the highway. Yep. So um, that's why it took me a little, probably a little bit longer than other people. But I raised $11,751 doing that. Wow. It was cool, though. People, people would stop on the highway. I heard you on the radio. Here's $200. Oh, I heard you on the radio. Here's an ice cream. Here's a pizza. Or uh, here's a rock, here's a crystal that I felt like you needed to have for your journey. Like it was wow. the coolest experience ever, man. Like that people so pulling cool. over, yeah, people pull over just to hug me and ball their eyes out and then tell me their story, or they'd want to hear parts of my story or tell me how inspiring I was. It was it was a really life changing experience. So I said, anytime I got interviewed, I would never do anything like this again, ever. Mm -hmm. But uh, I had like just i don't know it was about two years ago i wanted to do it but then covid hit couldn't do it and then this year i'm like you know what i'm getting older i'm uh now 46 so i'm like i probably got one more left in me so i'm gonna yep. do it one more time but i'm gonna walk from edmonton to airdrie because when i was doing all my fundraising and and speaking and and all of that i won an award called the lieutenant governor true grid award which okay. is my work for my work in mental health and addictions. Um, I was nominated in 2016 and then 2017, I actually won. So I decided to walk from the government house where I received that award, which is in Edmonton. So I'm walking from the government house in Edmonton to Airdrie. And that walk, by the way, I forgot to mention, I was walking with a five pound ball and chain around okay. my ankle. I was going to ask represent, about that I, I saw something. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, it represented addictions in mental health. And where I got that idea was from a lady. She donated a painting to my fundraiser. And it was a painting of a ball and chain with a happy face on it. I said, what does this mean? She's like, the ball and chain is mental health and addictions. The happy face is because people are always like, well, just smile. You know, like, yeah. why don't you smile? <laughs> like, oh, okay, I'll just throw a fucking smiley face on my ball and chain and it's gone. Like, yeah. so that's where I got the idea for the ball and chain because it's the stigmas associated with mental health and addictions, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. Which is what we were talking about. So, uh, so this time walking from Edmonton to Airdrie with a five pound ball and chain once again, but this time I'm doing it with another individual. Uh, his name is Brody Bennett Aru. 
um, young guy. He reached out to me a few years ago for help. He's gone to some meetings. He's sober. He wants to do this with me. So we'll both be wearing a five-pound ball and chain. And we have okay. a support driver named El Geary. She's a yep. friend of mine, and she's part of our Smart Recovery. She's part of Smart Recovery, and she's part of the Sober Friend Society. So okay. she's uh, helping us out again. And our goal is $10,000. Um, mm-hmm. We'd like to raise way more than that, of course. Of course. Right. But yeah. the, the, the main goal is $10,000, uh, keeping yeah. it real. Yeah. Um, so that's – and we've got our first five days of hotels already uh, uh, donated. So nice. we won't nice. have to spend nice. any money on hotels. And we just got a $500 check from Costco for food. So we yeah. won't have to – we'll have $500 to buy food along the way. Um, so we still got to get some more hotel donations, some more food donations, um, and we definitely need more donations or sponsors from businesses or people in general to go towards the overall ten thousand dollar goal. So, listeners, I appreciate not everybody has a ton of money, but you know, if you know, I uh, will put in the show notes. Yeah, we'll have the links to to everything here, of course, right? And, and Mike, I'll, I'll get you to make sure you send me that as soon as we're done, you know, with this conversation. Um, yeah. But remember, it's not just you. You work if you work for a company that you think might kick in a few bucks. This is a pretty great cause, and and you know we're talking about somebody who's who's I don't know how many miles that is. It's got to be, what is that? Well, the six hundred miles, seven hundred something well, like the, that, thousand kilometers. The, oh, Edmonton, the, Edmonton. Sorry, yeah, yeah, I still had yeah. the other one in my head. Okay. Yeah, yeah. the other the other yeah. one was over a thousand and twenty one kilometers. Yeah, was, right. So that, that's a hell yeah. of a it's a hell of a journey. So, but yeah, I mean we're walking this the ball one, chain from Edmonton to Airdrie is is a, huh, yeah. it's a but the route from something like that. No. Yeah, the route from Edmonton to Airdrie is longer yeah. than you think because we have to walk from the government house, which is like dead smack in the middle of Edmonton, and we have to yeah. walk directly west because we can't walk through Edmonton. So we walk west uh, until we get far enough out of Edmonton where we can start heading south. And so I think it's like a total of 350 or something kilometers. So That's, just, that's a lot. That's a lot. So yeah. you know, he's, he's not just asking for money for the sake of it. He's doing something. Right, you know, he's doing something a hell of a, well, a hell of a lot more than most of us are doing for anything, right? So, you know, if wherever you work, talk to your boss, talk to you know, there, there's always a budget for this kind of thing. Maybe they can help out with hotels, maybe they can help out with some cash, maybe they can you know donate something else that, that helps. But I think it's a it's a fantastic cause, and uh, please, guys, uh, you know, there's enough of you listening now. We we'll certainly be able to get something pointed that way. Um, Thank you. Now that said, Mike. Um, I would definitely like to, to help out as much as I can. I mean, I, hey, I don't even pay the bills yet with this podcast, right? So there's not much I can do financially, but I got a voice yeah. and I got an audience and, and, you know, most certainly anything I can do to help out. Um, I, I, I definitely like to keep up with the journey here. So perfect. we'll talk more about that, you know, offline. Uh, we are at the arc now and, you know, kind of like to keep it around an hour. So again, though, we're not done talking. <laughs> we right. are definitely not done talking, right? Uh, I can... Uh, can I leave people... your audience? Can Go I ahead, leave sir. your audience with a couple of pieces of things I've heard over the years that I like to tell people? Oh, absolutely! Um, Please do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, some of the things I've picked up along my way of like meetings and stuff. One time, I heard a guy say, "The one of the most loving things you can do for someone is just listen." I just like to uh, lead by example. Yeah. Um, well, you're and, certainly doing uh, that. I believe that recovering loudly helps other people from suffering silently. So those are two things Absolutely. I live by, lead by example and, and that. So. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, thanks for the interview. I really appreciate you a lot. Absolutely, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that brings us to my favorite part of the show. That's the Daily Gratitude. Today's Daily Gratitudes are brought to you by Doctor Treatment Centers in Phuket, Thailand. They are a clinic run by clinicians, not a business run by businessmen. 
and they know that where addiction is the smoke, trauma is the fire. Learn more at yatracenters.com. That's Y-A-T-R-A-C-E-N-T-R-E.com. All right, yeah. When I do have a guest on the show, I like to get them to share with us some, some daily gratitudes. Do you, do you got a couple or a few you'd like to share? Yeah. I definitely have a lot of things to be grateful for. Um, I'm grateful for Smart Recovery. Yeah. I'm grateful for my community of Airdrie because they're so supportive. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful for my parents because right now they're giving me a place to live. Otherwise, I'd be on the street with all my animals. I have three cats that are sitting all around <laughs> me right now, and I have a bunch of fish and turtles and scorpions and spiders and frogs and lizards. So uh, if it wasn't for them, I'd be on the street. Um, I'm moving out in 2025, thankfully. Woo-hoo. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I'm grateful for them. Um, I'm grateful for my animals. Uh, and I'm grateful for sobriety, man. Like life is so yeah, much yeah. better sober. Uh, I wouldn't want it any other way. Right. Well said, man. Well said. It's a true story. So, uh, oh, I'm and, grateful and for... for people like you doing what you're doing. Like, ah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's trying, a lot of people, there's, there's a lot of people in my community that do what I do or similar stuff. And without, all of them and people like you, there'd be a lot of people suffering and wouldn't have nowhere to go or anyone to talk to or to listen to. Yeah. Right. Right. So, um, and, and for the final gratitude guys, it goes up to you, the listeners, whatever you're doing, please keep doing it. It's working. Uh, you know, our, our, our numbers keep climbing. And, and for that, I'm very, very grateful. Um, if you're, if you're on Spotify, if you're listening on Spotify, you can now watch on Spotify as well as of last week here. If you're listening on any other platform and would like to watch, you can jump onto YouTube. Uh, uh, if you're on Apple, please drop a, a review and a rating. If you're on Spotify, please leave a comment. Uh, I do publish all of the comments. doesn't matter what they say. I do publish them uh, you know, after the fact when they do come in. And anytime you do these things, you are, getting me, you are helping me get a little bit closer to living my best life. My best life is to make a humble living, spreading the message. And the message is this. If you are in active addiction right now, today could be the day. Today could be the day that you start that lifelong journey. Reach out to a friend, reach out to a family member, call into detox, go to a meeting, do whatever the hell it is you need to do to get that journey started because it is so much better than the alternative. And if you are the loved one of somebody who's suffering an addiction right now, just taking the time to listen to our conversation, if you could just take one more minute out of your day and text that person, let them know they're loved. Use the words. You are loved. That little glimmer of hope just might be the thing. I'm the monster with a mind to drugs and frustration Created this isolation and others find selfish Had to cope with some shit that could kill, hit the all switch Had to do a mind shit to get through the time stretch Seems like bad days last and the good days fly quick This monster in my thoughts taunts me till I'm sick Takes over reality, can you feel the insanity? Body shaking like my thoughts are causing allergies Truth and fiction can't seem to tell the difference Anyone out there relate to me? My only one tripping Left wishing I could be the normal one in a room, anxiety got me twitching, feel a monster in the distance, gotta get busy, can't let this shit affect me, with no one left to protect, who's gonna protect me, feels like shit's getting messy, now that the monster's taking over, I think it's the only one that gets me, yeah. Stay too long, cause he don't wanna leave Till everybody's gone 
pushed away the ones that I need It's messed up, cause inside it's not who I wanna be Think one thing and do another React to the emotion that wants me to suffer Sorry if I smother I suffocate my relationship like we undercover Wanna disconnect and run from the suburbs The old me wants to return Wants me to forget what I learned Had no way to turn with all the bridges burned Pain is what I know Hearts hard as stone Feel the shakes in my bones I'm turning cold Look at what I did You had my back from the beginning But I couldn't see it I was blinded by my feelings Selfish I guess me and the monster have a lot of common Look in the mirror See the reflection of the problem I'm the monster with a mono to drugs and frustration Created this isolation that us find selfish Had to cope with some shit that could kill, hit the all switch Had to do a mind shit to get through the time stretch Seems like bad days last and the good days fly quick This monster in my thoughts taunts me till I'm sick Takes over reality, can you feel the insanity? Body shaking like my thoughts are causing allergies Truth and fiction can't seem to tell the difference Anyone decide to rob them Am I the one trying to drag us to the bottom? When I get suspicious, is it all in my noggin? I guess this monster is molded in my core. Spent so much time alone, thought I was talking to the walls. Locked in a prison, being haunted by my thoughts. Gotta break out and take out the monster like a boss. Yeah.